Let's have another big round of applause for our band, the Homeschool Teachers. Let's hear it for them. Aren't we all? At least for a season, all of us parents are homeschool teachers. Well, once again, thank you for being here and worshiping with us at Hope Community Church. So glad to have you here. Those of you who are here in person, those of you worshiping online, thank you so much for making the choice to participate in worship this morning. Of all the other things you could be doing, you chose to do this, and we greatly appreciate that. We are in part two of a four-part message series we are calling This is the Test. This is the test. And so the big, the big point of this whole message series is for us to come to terms with the fact that right now we are going through a period of being tested, right? We all are, right? And for so many people participating in worship, you're going through a challenging time right now, but it's not the first challenging season you've been through. And if we all survive this, it's not going to be the last season of challenge and testing that we go through, right? And last week we talked about the fact that from a worldly perspective, this isn't just a Christian idea, but from a worldly perspective, we believe that the things we go through in life, the tests, the trials, the obstacles, they can help us grow as human beings. We increase in our strength, we increase in our character as we come through these tests. Whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger, right? Our old buddy Friedrich Nietzsche first said that, right? And so there's, that's a, a worldly belief, or if you want to call it a secular belief, but when it comes to Scripture, we, those of us who believe what the Bible says is true, and, and we do here at this church, just so you know, the Bible tells us time and time again, both Old Testament and New, that tests and trials are a part of life, and it's not just random. That God uses these tests to grow us in our faith to grow us in our character, to make us stronger. In fact, Peter tells us, don't be surprised when there are tests. We shouldn't be surprised. It's part of life in this earth. And so let's, let's do this, guys. All right? Let's not ignore the fact that we're being tested. Let's not pretend that we're not being tested. Let's embrace the fact that this is a test, that this is the test, and let's desire to ace this thing. Are you with me? Let's ace this thing, right? Let's do this. If we're going to be tested, let's, let's desire to do well. Last week we talked about a specific test or a specific battle, if you want to think of it that way, the battle or the test of faith versus fear. And the reason that we talked about faith versus fear is that fear plays a factor in these other tests that we are faced with during this time, right? And fear, as we talked about last week, fear can, can, that sense of fear can, can grow when we find our sense of security in things that are not stable, Right? If we find our security in our finances or in our job or in our health or these other things that, that really aren't reliable, all these things that can fail, then we can experience that fear and anxiety. But if we find, those of us who are believers, if we find our sense of security in Jesus Christ, then we won't give in to fear. And so last week I encourage you to choose faith over fear. Fear paralyzes, but faith empowers. Today we move on to part two in this series and we're looking at the test of generosity versus greed. Generosity versus greed. Now, we need to start out by defining these terms, generosity and greed, because here's what we'll discover. There is a very general way to understand generosity, and then there's a more specific Christian brand of generosity, if you want to think of it that way. There's a very general and worldly and secular way to think of greed, but then there is a more Christ-specific way to think about the concept of greed. And so, what is, what is generosity? Simply put, a general definition of generosity is giving something away, right? Giving something away is an act of generosity. Maybe that something is money, maybe that something is a donation, maybe that something is time, maybe it's less tangible, support. Giving something away is an act of generosity. 
My first, first job in ministry was working with youth, working with students, working with teenagers. Uh, I used to have a rapport with teenagers, and I don't anymore, right? Okay? It's like, uh, what's going on, guys? You guys like texting and stuff? I don't know how to talk to kids anymore, right? Well, once upon a time, I did, and that was my first job in ministry, was working with youth. And occasionally, we would have members of the church that wanted to make donations to the youth group, Right? And so somebody's grandpa died, and they've got this 172-year-old couch, and they thought, you know what, instead of throwing this in the dumpster, let's donate it to the youth room. And then I'd have to act like I was very appreciative of that, because I'm a Christian and I try to be polite, right? Oh, thank you so much for this horrible, old, soiled couch, right? Thank you very much, right? Or somebody would buy one of those cheap particle board mini pool tables for Christmas, and by March it was all destroyed and chipped away. And like, you know what, instead of setting this thing on fire, let's donate it to the youth. Oh, thank you so much for this donation. Now, were those acts of generosity? Listen, I don't want to be judgmental. Probably, right? Giving something away. But generosity exists on a scale, doesn't it? Generosity exists on a scale. And there's something about the Christ brand of generosity, the Christian concept of generosity that is different from a general worldly concept. There are two factors, two elements that make the Christian concept of generosity different. Here's number one. Note takers that can write stuff down. Here it is. Things that make the Christian idea or the Christian concept of generosity different from the worldly concept of generosity. First one is this. Generosity is meeting a need that needs to be met. Right? Got that? Generosity is meeting a need that actually needs to be met. That's the one thing that separates the Christian concept of generosity from a more general concept of generosity, right? Now, if you donate some stuff to some people who actually need it, that, that's, that matters more than donating something to somebody that doesn't need it, right? In, in Luke, I think it's chapter um, 16, Jesus is giving a teaching and he talks about uh, throwing a wedding. There's lots of stuff about weddings in the New Testament. And so Jesus says, if you're throwing a banquet, if you're throwing a wedding, don't invite your friends. Don't do it. Because they'll just invite you back to their party the next time and they'll feed you. Hey, they don't need to be fed, right? And I'm paraphrasing the the teaching of Jesus here, which is always dangerous. But essentially he says this, if you're going to feed somebody, if you're going to spend all this money and feed somebody, why not feed somebody that needs to be fed? Meeting a need that needs to be met. You can't argue with that logic, right? You take somebody out to lunch and they've got just as much money as you and they could pay for it, you could pay for it. And you, that's an act of kindness if you go ahead and treat them, but, but they can feed themselves. And so again, that Christian concept of generosity, one of the things that separates the Christian concept of generosity from general generosity is we're meeting needs that need to be met. Here's the other element that separates Christian generosity from general generosity, okay? And this one's tough. This one's tough. Generosity requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Many, many years ago as a church, we went through a book written by Francis Chan called Crazy Love. It's an excellent book. And one of the chapters is titled, Giving Leftovers to a Holy God. (laughs) And just the title of that chapter alone is pretty darn convicting for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Because so often that's what we do. We just kind of give. We make these donations. We give back to God out of the overflow. Or we make these donations of things that are just trash anyway. It's like, whoa, 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 God, God deserves our best, doesn't he? And so this Christian concept of generosity, it's meeting a need that needs to meet that, and it requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Um, 
For those of you who are newer to Hope Community Church, we do believe in the discipline of tithing. And it's just that. It is a discipline. Uh, Tithing is not a requirement for salvation. Participating in a worship service is not a requirement for salvation. Reading your Bible and, and, and engaging in a prayer life, these are not requirements for salvation, but these are disciplines that we engage in because there is a benefit associated with these disciplines. And so we believe in the discipline of tithing. And if you're not familiar with that term, tithing means giving your first 10% of your income back to God. And many Christians do that through the local church. That's what most Christians do is give that first 10% back to God through the local church. So that's a discipline that we believe in because there's a benefit associated with practicing that discipline. It is not a requirement. It is a discipline. We're going to talk more about tithing in the fall. I'll be sure to warn you about it. So you can choose not to show up if so desired, okay? Because some people don't like hearing about that. But we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about money and more, more about tithing in the fall. But that's in general. That's it. It is a discipline. Jesus does not require 10%. Jesus requires 100%. So a tithe is just the beginning. Those of us who practice the discipline of tithing, we've come to understand that tithing, giving that first 10% back to God, it's not the end of sacrifice. It's the beginning of the sacrifices we make to God, we give back to God. And so over the years, I have had a, I've had a similar conversation on two different occasions. Um, a lot of churches at the end of the year, they will give out a giving statement to their members. This is something that our church does as well, you know, for tax purposes. You can claim it on your taxes you gave to this, you know, nonprofit organization. But um, I have had a couple of people tell me when they get that statement at the end of the year, they look at that final number and think, wow, look what I could have done with this money. <laughs> I could have bought a new fridge. I could have bought a new car. I could have put this in my savings, I could have put this in my retirement. And like, I don't fault people for thinking that when you see that number. But that's a sacrifice. Instead of investing in yourself or your retirement or something you want to buy or your kid's college education, instead of doing that, you're investing back in the things of God. You're investing back in the kingdom of God. And that is a sacrifice. Several years ago, this was our first, or maybe it was our second uh, mission trip to Kenya. And uh, we work with an organization, we partner with an organization called Start With One Kenya, a Christian organization. And the main thrust of their ministry is providing people that don't have access to clean drinking water with access to clean drinking water. And so this is literally a life-saving ministry done in the name of Jesus Christ. And so it was either our first or second trip, and somebody in the congregation, uh, he told me that he was going to make a sacrifice, and that part of his routine was he would stop every morning on his way to work and pick up a coffee, like a lot of people do. And he said, while you're raising funds for this mission trip, I am not going to get a coffee. I'm going to make it at home, and I'm going to donate what I would have spent on coffee to your mission trip, okay? That's a sacrifice. Is it a big sacrifice? Is it a small It's a sacrifice. That's what matters. I'm giving something up to give to the things of God. I'm giving something up to make an investment in the kingdom of God. The Christian concept of generosity requires sacrifice. A few years ago, 2017, again, preparing for our trip to Kenya, we had a family in the congregation contribute the total amount to send one individual over to Kenya. It cost a lot of money. It cost $3,000 to send one person over to Kenya. That's a lot. That's a big investment. But there was a family here in our church that said, we're going to make this sacrifice, we're going to give up, and I don't know the details of the sacrifice. Did they have to cut back on their vacation time? Quite possibly But they gave that money that was a sacrifice to invest in the things of God. Since we're talking about Kenya, let's talk about it some more. We've had people in the past go on our Kenya mission trip, and it's two weeks. 
That means you have to take two weeks off of work. We have had people burn through 100% of their vacation time to go on this mission trip. You better believe that is a sacrifice. Sacrifice is required. The Christian concept of generosity requires sacrifice. More recently, there was a family I spoke to in this church and they made a decision that they are not going to invest anything in their retirement while we are raising funds to renovate this building. said, instead of doing that, we're going to keep tithing and then on top of the tithe, we're going to invest in this project. Why? Because they believe. They believe in what we're doing here as a church. They've personally benefited from the ministry of Hope Community Church and they want other people to benefit from our ministry and they want to give other people, our visitors and guests, a nicer building with a roof that, you know, doesn't leak, right? And so that's a sacrifice that people make. And there are many more examples that I could give you of sacrifice. I have had the privilege of witnessing so many of you give so generously and sacrificially to the things of God and it does my heart good to see that level of sacrifice. And so that's the Christian concept of generosity. It requires sacrifice, and you're meeting a need that needs to be met. Now, let's talk about greed, okay? Let's define greed. The very general, again, general definition of greed is an intense desire. You can look this up on your phone. I believe it's an intense desire for something. Wealth, power, or food, okay? An intense desire for something. Greed is associated with selfishness. I want this for me. An intense, an intense selfish desire for something. I want this for me. That's a general way to understand greed, right? It's Friday night, and somebody brings a pizza home, and they open that lid of the box, and you see that one slice that's bigger than the rest, right? And it's got that little bit of cheese up over the crust, that little bit of burnt cheese. Do you like that burnt cheese? Do you like that little bit of burnt cheese? And you think to yourself, ooh, that's daddy's piece, right? That's daddy's piece. (laughs) When I was a teenager, I had a friend, and we would order pizza together. We'd order from Imperial back in those days because it was cheap and delicious. And so we'd get that pizza, we'd open up the box, and this is what he would do. He would lick his fingers and touch the pieces he wanted. I'm like, are you kidding me? Don't start doing that, by the way. Hey, my pastor taught me this fun. No, don't start doing that, right? These are the pieces I want. Greed. A selfish desire for pizza. No, it's a selfish desire for, for something. There can be little, little tiny acts of greed and then much bigger acts of greed. There is a misconception about greed that we have to get rid of, that we have to absolutely get rid of. Some people associate wealth with greed, and they assume that, that wealthy people or rich people are greed. Listen, you know that's not the case. I mean, some are, but we, it's not fair. It's not fair for us to assume just because a person is rich, according to our standards, or just because a person is wealthy, that they are greedy. Some of the most generous people I know are wealthy, okay? So let's not do that. Every so often there's a movement that comes along where we try to blame the rich or blame the wealthy for all of our problems. Don't blame them. Don't blame That's not fair. You don't know them. You don't know all of them. Don't blame them. Just because a person is wealthy does not necessarily mean that they are greedy. And just because a person is poor doesn't mean that they're not greedy, okay? Greed, it's that selfish desire for something. You can be greedy if you're poor. You can be greedy if you're rich, okay? You can always be greedy. And so that's a general way to understand greed. Then there is a more specific biblical Christian concept of greed. Now, our close personal friend whom we've never met, Mr. Andy Stanley, he has defined greed in this way, and he does it with a little rhyme because he's brilliant. And the rhyme is this. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. 
Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. That whatever I have, whatever I've earned, whatever's been gifted to me, it's all for me to use on me. Whatever is mine is for me to use on me. The assumption that it's all for my consumption. See, that's a, that's a, that's a more difficult way to think about greed. Here's, here's the reality. Let me just address this, okay? Um, some of us participating in worship, um, and again, I don't mean this derogatory, so just hear me out on this. Some of us participating in worship this morning were born on Easy Street, okay? And that's nothing against you, but some people just born into families where you had a lot of support, and you had parents that supported you and helped you get through school and helped you get through college, and maybe you even had some doors open to you when you were looking through a job. Some people are born on Easy Street. We know that. And then some people are born on the opposite of Easy Street, whatever that is, uh, Difficult Boulevard, all right? Some people are born on Easy Street. Some people are born on Difficult Boulevard, okay? Where you just, it's, you're up against it. From the minute you enter into this world, you're up against it because your home life's not great and your parents aren't that supportive and you gotta, maybe you can't go to school, can't go to college, and you've got to fight your way to get everything you have. Some people are born on Difficult Boulevard. Some people are born on Easy Street. Here's what we need to know. Regardless, regardless, we all come into this world with certain advantages and certain disadvantages. And those people on Easy Street, they've got disadvantages that maybe we don't know about. And those people that are born on Difficult Boulevard, is that going to become a thing now, Difficult Boulevard? Those people that are born into those difficult circumstances, they have advantages too. And so we're all born into this world. We're all in this world. We experience certain advantages and disadvantages. It's one thing we all have in common. Now you might look over your life story and think, man, I've got more disadvantages than advantages. I don't know. I don't know your story. Maybe that's true. But if you stop and think, think about the advantages that you've had along the way, the friends that have connected you with jobs, the friends that have connected you with resources, or, or there's, everybody has certain advantages or disadvantages. So here's the reality. However much you have, or however little you have, there is the temptation to hold on to what you have. Let me give you another way to think about greed, okay? Greed is keeping more than you need. That's tough, isn't it? That's, that's a tough way to think about greed, you know, because that's all of us. That's all of us. It's keep, keeping more than you need. You have certain things. You've earned certain things. You've been given certain things. You assume it's all for you, and you want to keep more than you need. That's greed. Many, many years ago, I read this article. There was a, um, a writer for the New York Times, and he, he traveled with Mother Teresa for a time, and this man was an atheist, and and uh, saw the poverty in Calcutta. And he said to Mother Teresa, how could a God allow something like this to happen? And she said, don't go blaming this on God. This is people. This is people, people who are to blame. Because too many people keep more than we need. We do not have a food insecurity problem on a global scale, okay? There's more than enough food to go around. We have a distribution problem. Because we keep, by our nature, we keep more than we need. Greed is keeping more than we need. When you think of greed in that way, you realize that it impacts all of us, that this is a battle and a test for every single one of us. Greed, keeping more than you need, assuming that all you have is for your own consumption, that is greed. Take a look at the Scripture passage. If you have a Bible with you, if you have your phone with you, it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Read this passage earlier. And in this passage, Paul, he's writing to the church in Corinth. 
and apparently they had committed to him a certain amount of financial support. They were planning to, to make a generous gift to him. Now, why? Why were they going to give him this generous gift? Why would they do that? Well, this group of people, they had personally benefited from Paul's ministry. They met Jesus through Paul. They became a church through Paul. And they wanted to invest back in the work that he was doing. And so they made a decision that they were going to give this generous gift to Paul. And so Paul is writing to them. And what he says, beginning with verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, right? If you're out there and you're scattering seeds, literally, if you only scatter a few seeds, you're not going to have much of a harvest, right? But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so really what Paul is talking about, and we've, we've talked about this before as a church, he's talking about investing in the things of God, investing in the kingdom of God. And if you're poor toward God, and if you don't really invest much, and you don't really sow many seeds, then you're not going to reap an abundant harvest. You're just not. Let me continue here. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever given reluctantly to something, right? You're just trying to make your way out of the supermarket. And somebody's raising funds for something that you don't care much about. It's like, oh, here's a... Right? What are you raising money for? You need any... You know, oh, here we go. You know, that's not, that's not how it works in the life of a church. It should never be that way. Maybe some of you are coming out of church experiences where that's how you felt. You know, they do their giving campaign once a year or something like that, and it's like, oh, you've got to give to the church or we're going to go out of business. Uh. No, 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 no. No. There's no obligation. There's no, there's no obligation. What does Paul say? You've made a decision in your heart. That's between you and God. Give what you decided to give. Give generously in the things of God. God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful. Enthusiastic. Passionate. Somebody who gives because they're excited to make an investment in the kingdom of God. Ah, God loves that. It's not about guilt or obligation. It's about cheerful, vision, passionate, enthusiastic. Yes! I can't wait to write this check to Paul. I can't wait to put this gift in his hands and see what God does with it. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Now here's the thing I have to point out. There is this thing, and it's, it's often referred to as the um, prosperity gospel. Have you heard that term? Prosperity gospel, right? And so there are certain preachers, and you mostly see this in like the televangelist realm, um, and they, they, kinda, they make this suggestion, or they make this promise. If you give a financial gift to God, then you're going to get rich. Okay? That's, that's essentially the prosperity gospel. And it is a lie. There is no guarantee that when you give to God, you're going to make yourself wealthy. That's not a guarantee. The guarantee is that you will be blessed. Can that blessing manifest itself in finances? It can. But that's not the guarantee. Look, Paul specifies for us. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Go ahead, sow generously, give generously, not under obligation. Go ahead and make that gift. And in return, God will bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, regardless of the state of the economy, regardless of whether or not there's a pandemic, regardless of your employment status, in all things, at all times, having all that you, what's the word? Need. Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The promise of Jesus, the promise of God, is that when we trust Him with our finances, when we invest in the kingdom of God, 
we will have all that we need. And listen, God promises what he promises and no more. When he says we'll have all that we need, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. There are a lot of things that we view as necessities that just aren't like the internet and phones and television, right? I, listen, God's not promising. He's promising what he's promising and no more. But you will have what you need. We trust God. We choose faith over fear. We trust God and we give to the things of God. Passionately, enthusiastically. And we will have all that we need at all times. Choosing generosity over greed. Choosing joyful giving over our fearful holding on. There was a couple that I know, and about 15 years ago, well, actually, well, 17 years ago, now that I think about it, um, they went to a church, and uh, it was one of those churches that um, every year they would do their fundraising thing, or they'd really ask their members to make a pledge, a commitment, a commitment card. Did you ever go to a church like that where they had you fill out a commitment card? Here's what I plan to give to the church next year, okay? And so, just so you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, necessarily. Um, we don't do that here as a church, and we have our reasons, and I can explain that at another time. But, but they went to a church, and that's what they did. And so, they sat down as a couple, and they both were tithers as a couple, and they both worked. Um, the husband had a salary job, so he knew exactly what he was going to be making the following year. So, he did a little simple math, 10% of my salary, boom, that's what I'm giving. However, the wife, she worked in sales, and so she didn't know exactly what she was going to be making that following year. I mean, she could estimate. And so she gave her best estimate, took 10% of that estimate, they filled out their commitment card, boom, gave it to the church. New year rolls around, a few months into the new year, the wife loses a few of her big clients. And if you work in sales, you know what a dramatic impact that can take on your income. You lose a few key clients and, and you're down. And so there was a point in the year where it looked like she was going to be down about 50% of her anticipated income. And so this couple, they had to have a conversation. Okay, we made this commitment to the church. We're tithers, and we we made this decision to tithe, and we thought we knew what we were making, and so we gave our church that that letter, and we made that commitment to them, but now we're in different circumstances. What do we do? And I'll tell you what right now. No one on this earth, no one on this earth would fault this couple for saying, you know what, we're still going to tithe, but that tithe is just going to be less than what we thought it was. No one would fault them for that. And they could have gone to the treasurer, and they could have gone to the pastor. They just want to let you know our income's less, we're still tithing, but our giving's going to be less than we thought it was going to be. And that would have been fine. No one, no one would fault them for that. But they talked about it as a couple, and they prayed about it as a couple, and they made a decision. We're going to give more than the tithe. We're going to give the number that we committed to give in advance, even though it's going to be more than the tithe. Why? Why? They weren't, they weren't obligated to do that. Why did they choose to do that? Because they, as a couple, they believed in their local church. And they had personally benefited from the ministry of their local church. And they had witnessed people baptized in their local church. Lives turn around, people transform. People who are destined for hell, now destined for heaven because of a relationship in Jesus Christ. They would witnessed and experienced the ministry of the local church, they believed in the local church. They said, we're going to keep giving. We're going to keep giving above the tithe this year. And guess how it worked out for that couple? Fine. They paid all their bills, even managed to go on some vacations that year, right? And by the end of the year, this is not the point of the story, but by the end of the year, the wife had gained some clients back. In fact, she made more than what she anticipated making for the year. That's not the point of the story. 
The point of the story is this. They didn't know how the end of the year was going to work out. They just trusted God. They believed in the local church. They gave, not because they were obligated, they gave joyfully and cheerfully because they believed in the work of the local church. I believe in the work of the local church. I would not be standing here if I didn't believe that the hope of this world is in the local church. They believed in that. They gave generously to it. This test of greed versus generosity, generosity versus greed, it is especially difficult in times like this. The temptation to hold on to what you have is very strong when we go through an economic downturn, isn't it? And all of a sudden, you start tightening the belt. And listen, tightening the belt is a great thing as long as you're tightening it in the right areas. And so for so many people, we struggle to be generous. Listen, generosity, it's sacrificial in nature. It's always a challenge, but it's especially challenge, challenging at times like this, right? Income's less than we thought it was going to be. Let's tighten up the belt a little bit. Maybe give a little bit less to God. Let's cut this out. Let's cut this out. Let's cut this out. What are you cutting out of your budget right now? What are you still investing in? The challenge. The challenge of giving in to the temptation to hold on to more than you need. That's where fear plays a factor in all this. Well, listen, my income's okay for now, and I have enough for now, but I don't know what's going to happen with this economy, so we better just hang on to this, right? Because we don't know. We don't know. That's fear. Choose faith. Choose faith over fear. How are you doing in this battle? How are you doing in this test? How are we as a church doing in this test? Because you better believe we as a church, we as a collective, and the leadership of this church, we have been tested in this regard. Hey, here's a fun fact for you. For the first time in our history as a church, our weekly average giving is below what we need. How about that? No one's applauding that? That's fine. (laughs) That's a first for us. In eight years, we've always had more than what we need. And we've always given generously to other causes like our missionaries. We give generously as a church. That was easy. Now we're being tested. Now we're being tested. Back uh, in the weeks leading up to Easter, we, the leadership of your church, we had to make a decision what we're going to do because every Easter Sunday, we pass an offering plate around and everything that's in that plate goes to our missions trip, right? And so this year, we're not doing a missions trip. And so the temptation was like, well, listen, we're not even meeting in person. We're not collecting giving on a regular basis. We can just skip this whole giving money away thing this year. We can just skip that. That was a clear temptation to give into that greed and fear. And so we talked about it as a leadership. We talked about it as your leadership as the church. And we decided, no, we're not, we're not going to give into that temptation. And our treasurer did some math, and he calculated our average weekly giving before the pandemic. And we said, listen, we're going to give this much away. It was 3500 I believe, right? We're going to give this much away to local needs, to pandemic relief. And that's what we did. We're going to give it away. We're not, because we wanted to pass the test. You know, if we came to you, if I came to you as your pastor, listen, times are tough. And our weekly average giving is down, so instead of giving anything away, we're just going to keep it. You would say, okay, we understand, Pastor, but that's, listen, I want to pass this test too. I want to do well too, don't you? Let's pass this test. It was easy to give before. Now is the actual test. Let's pass this test. At this point in our year, we are about $300 under our weekly need right? $300 a week under our need. And there is a big temptation to hold on to what we got, right? And not give it away, right? And let's just hold on to this. Let's hold on to it. I mean, we got a roof we got to put on this place. We got to renovate this building. We got to get some air conditioning in here. Amen? Amen. All right, there we go. 
thought I'd get an amen for air conditioning, right? We've got a lot to do, so let's hold on to what we have. At the beginning of the year, I mentioned our friends that start with One Kenya. At the beginning of the year, we gave them uh, $4,000. That was our commitment to them. Some of that went to the missionary support. Other, uh, the rest of that went to um, a feeding program and an IDP camp. And so we made that commitment to give them that much, and we gave them that much. And then a few weeks ago, we got an email from our friends at Start With One Kenya telling us about the needs that exist right there. Now, we all know what the pandemic has done to our economy here in a first world nation. Imagine the impact that's had in Kenya, in a developing nation. That's what I call it, developing nation. I'm not going to call it a third world country. I'm going to call it a developing nation because I believe in Kenya, all right? So you can imagine where the healthcare system, yeah, it isn't, okay? It just isn't a thing. And where financial security isn't a thing, where job security isn't a thing, you can imagine the toll that this pandemic has taken on the people of Kenya. And so we received this email, and it would be very easy for us to write back and say, listen, we're going to pray for you, but now our church is hurting. Our weekly giving is down, and so we can't really give any more right now. It would be easy for us to say that, and no one would fault us for it. But we want to pass this test, don't we? <laughs> we want to pass this test. And so several weeks ago, our finance committee met, and then following that committee meeting, we, we sent an email out to our board of directors, and here's what we've decided we're going to do. We're going to send additional support to our friends to start with One Kenya in the amount of $5,000. And so we're going to go ahead and give that because we want to pass it. We don't want to fall into that temptation. Well, we could use this for ourselves, and we could use this for the roof. All those things are true, but we want to pass this test, and we want to do well. And so we're going to give. There is some uncertainty associated with this giving. How's the end of the year going to work out? <laughs> but we're just going to have faith. We just have to have faith and trust in God. But by the end of the year, everything is going to balance out. We're trusting in God. We want to make an investment in what's going on in our community and around the world. We want to continue our investment in the ministry that's happening in Kenya. We're not able to go there right now, given the circumstances, but we want to continue to invest in that. We want to do well with this test. We're all being tested. All of our families, our church leadership is being tested. I'm being tested as a pastor. And I tell you what, there is a part of me, just a small part, just a small part that's excited about being tested. I mean, most of me wishes we didn't have to go through this, but there's a small part of me that's excited about being tested because I want to I do well, right? Did you ever get that? Like, I want to get in that classroom. I want to take that test. And I want to show I can do well on this. I want to do well. Do you desire to do well? Do you desire that? Do you desire that? Let's do well on this test. Right, before, generosity was, was difficult, but it's, it was easier than it is right now. Let's choose generosity. Let's not give in to that temptation to hold on to what we have. Let's not give in to that temptation to be greedy. Let's give to the things of God and trust that what God has told us is true. That when we give to the kingdom of God, we will be blessed abundantly. And all our needs, in all seasons, and at all times will be met. Amen? Let's pray on that. Father God, I want to thank you for the ways that you have blessed us as a church. We have never, we have never been in need because of you. You have met all of our needs. Our entire brief history as a church, you have provided for us, and we believe and we trust that you will continue to provide. Father God, I pray for our church leadership that you would allow us to not only pass these tests, but that we would do excellent, that we would get straight A's on these tests. 
Father God, we pray for our community. We pray for our congregation. All of our families are being tested right now. Allow us to do well. Give us enthusiasm for the things that serve you. Give us enthusiasm for your kingdom and the ministry that's done in your kingdom. Father God, give us cheerful hearts, passionate hearts that desire to give to you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.